Welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast series in which hot topics, including new initiatives and alternative viewpoints on patient engagement within the life sciences sector will be covered. Although patient engagement is more and more common nowadays, it is absolutely crucial that it is also meaningful and sustainable. With this podcast series, we would like to contribute to achieving that goal. My name is Roger Lechtenberg and I'm senior partner and co-owner of Admedicum. And today I thought it would be interesting to share with you another set of extracts from a recent LinkedIn Live event that was moderated by my colleague Philip von Galwitz. He's co-founder and managing partner of Admedicum, and he's also a patient advocate for CDKL5 deficiency disorder. He's a parent of a 20-year-old daughter living with that disorder. We welcomed Bojana Mirosalovic with over 15 years of patient advocate experience and she shared her personal story which brought her into this role. She lost her daughter Zoya when she was only nine years old due to Batten disease. She's currently the president and the founder of the Patient Association for Rare Diseases in Children called LIFE, providing support to families in Serbia and the Balkan region. She's also the director of patient advocacy strategy at ICON. At the LinkedIn Live event, they both shared their thoughts on patient advocacy perspectives in gene and cell therapy. So without further ado, let's get to the event itself with Philip introducing the topic and initiating the discussion around the many expectations and challenges that come with the recent exciting developments in gene and cell therapy for several diseases. So we are living in very exciting times in general, I guess, um, and not only uh, positively, of course, but in terms of research and development in gene and cell therapy, I think uh, this is really a very exciting time. Uh, gene therapy uh, in particular um, is, is certainly not uh, a new development or a new um, a technology. Uh, we've been uh, hearing and reading and working on this for more than 40 years. But recently, we've seen the first products on the market. So uh, in spinal muscular atrophy, for example, in hemophilia, uh, most recently, uh, also and in retinal uh, dystroph dystrophy, of course, hundreds of other gene technologies are in the development uh, in clinical stage uh, already, uh, many of them, and more and more coming. Uh, and of course, there are lots of expectations connected to that. There's also a lot of challenges related to that, but maybe in the media, uh, we may not hear too much about these, uh, you know, more differentiated uh, views on gene and cell therapy, uh, but there's a lot about one and done and the cure for uh, very, very severe and serious conditions. And that's where the hope comes from, of course, very often. And um, so we'd like to start this dialogue here, of course, with a question to you, Bujana. Uh, from a patient perspective, what do you think um, is the most important uh, regarding uh, these new kind of technologies at the moment? Well, uh, you mentioned hope. And just uh, for the beginning, I would like to you know, cover that uh, <laughs> word because it is a... Uh, huge word uh, for this uh, for this context uh, of course the patients and families and caregivers should hope because without hope they will not survive you know so it is important to have hope but uh, 
uh, also uh, they should know uh, all other information so uh, gene therapy offer tremendous hope especially rare disease where treatments are often unavailable or only provide a short-lived quality of life benefits because they do not target the actual cause of the disease and uh, with the gene therapy there is a potential for cure or at uh, least for uh, uh, some kind of restoration of the function uh, that can lead to significant improvements in quality of life so that is really important and we do we do know uh, that uh, about 80% of the rare diseases are caused by single gene defect. So gene therapy uh, treat diseases that are caused by single gene defects uh, could mean improvements in survival and quality of life of the patient. So rather just uh, treating uh, symptoms, uh, the gene therapy uh, has potential to get right to the core of the disease. And that is really important difference. So it, uh, they, uh, the gene therapy modifying a patient's gene to treat the disease. You know, he can, uh, this uh, can be um, achieved on several ways. Uh, by turn off a gene that is causing the disease, add a gene that helps the body fight the disease, or replace a gene that is causing the problem. So I, I got every day that kind of question in my patient organization because uh, families and parents and uh, caregivers are not uh, clear with that. They just heard gene therapy, but nobody explained them what ex exactly that means. And uh, patient communities are keen to understand what gene therapy could mean for people living with the uh, these genetic condition and you know reality and expectation are not always aligned so that goes to the point of education right and uh, i think also from from our experience in many many projects um, both on the patient side but also uh, working with the industry and the field um, education is really something that uh, is at, at the very very top of the agenda at the moment the need yeah. for education by the way not only i think on the patient side also on the physician side and on the the industry side when it's not only about the technical understanding uh, but it, the, the need for how to explain that when to seek collaboration when to seek uh, uh, communication uh, and uh, it, that is of course not only true for rare diseases as you given uh, the example uh, of yes. course, very, very often this is this is extremely relevant in rare diseases, but also in much more common diseases, as we see now, gene technology is also um, uh, coming and also cell therapies, of course, um, in uh, oncology anyway. But uh, yeah. let's give an example like uh, Parkinson, for example, uh, where this is also coming up now. So in much more common diseases. So education as um you know, one of the number one things on the agenda at the moment as a need in for patient advocacy in, in gene and cell therapy, what is it that, maybe starting with the patient organization, what is it that patient organizations could or should do from your point of view to really prepare themselves for that kind of communication, own understanding and communication to their community? Yeah, well, Philip, there are a lot of questions which are unanswered. Uh, for now, uh, even for physician, as you said, but uh, especially for patient representatives who are in everyday contact with patients and, you know, patients uh, ask from them uh, that kind of answers, but uh, some answers we do not have. 
you know, uh, for example, very often uh, gene therapy is described as a one and done treatment, but it is not true for all cases. A safety consideration uh, really uh, are very important and uh, will be a factor for many people. And uh, uh, whoever considering gene therapy, some parents or caregiver uh, who consider gene therapy for their child, uh, needs really to fully understand all aspects of the treatment, benefits, risk, but also uh, it is very important to be willing to make a commitment to a long-term follow-up. Uh, and uh, it is important to remember that the gene therapy only represents a cure for individuals receiving the treatment. So for families with a hereditary condition, this means that uh, this condition can be still passed on their children. Uh, uh, also about administration, uh, how the gene therapy is typically administrated at the specialist centers with the long-term monitoring undertaken uh, at the local center. And uh, this also very often requires uh, uh, that patients may need to travel significant distance to receive their treatment. The conversation continued with Philip asking Bojana what the major concerns are from patients and families regarding gene and cell therapy clinical trials in particular as well as for existing treatments. So, uh, in regard of um, the, uh, the, the clinical trials in particular, but maybe also already the, um, the existing treatments, what is it that you hear most as a concern from patients and families when you talk to them? Is, can you, uh, can mm -hmm. you, you know, um, uh, yeah. conclude on a certain pattern? What are the, the major concerns that are being expressed? Yeah, well, I must say that there are uh, different uh, questions the, from the families who actually have some other option than that G therapy and totally different question from the families or patients who, uh, who they, they don't have other choice, you know, they just have that gene therapy, no, no other treatment are available. So, uh, for example, some of the questions were, can gene therapy be re-administrated uh, if you fail to respond the first time? So that is the main question. Or should I, uh, do I need to stop, for example, enzyme replacement therapy while I'm on gene therapy? And can I continue enzyme replacement therapy after that, you know, so... Uh, that are the really uh, important question on uh, which, uh, because it is a clinical trial, you know, on, on some of that question we don't have answer. We will have answer after the clinical trial. What do you think can be maybe recommended to pharma companies, biotech companies, also hospitals uh, that do uh, run trials? in regard of how to prepare for these kind of not only concerns, but situations um, when uh, deciding about uh, enrollment, uh, deciding about participating in a trial, uh, but then also uh, during the clinical, the clinical trial. Before they start, they need to elaborate and figure out to be very clear with some thing uh, about the patient. So what uh, meaningful benefits do patients actually expect from the gene therapy? Uh, and uh, what risk are the patients willing to tolerate as a part of the treatment? Uh, what preference and priorities the patients have, uh, you know, what is important for them in that, uh, in that uh, treatment? 
and uh, when they uh, how they will actually decide be- between different treatments you know and uh, ad- an additional consideration uh, is that for many individuals and families and caregivers um, integration into patient community is significant and their condition may be tied into their identity uh, along uh, with their friends and social lives. So there are also that psychological aspects too. Maybe uh, also as a conclusion from what we see and, and work on uh, a lot, um, I would say that working even earlier with patient groups than maybe in other areas um, is extremely important. Really learn from the patient community what the potential expectations and concerns, hopes are. Uh, how can we address that jointly? collectively as a patient community together with the sponsors of clinical trials um, at a very early stage to really find out what needs to be prepared in, in terms of communication, education, and, and also collaboration uh, very early on. That's something that may be even more important in this space than in others. Um, yeah. and that's, my, that's my impression. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I fully agree. But the, uh, as I mentioned, very often there's there are just few centers who are actually capable to give that uh, gene therapies in the world, in the Europe. So the families need to travel a lot, uh, not just patients with one caregivers, but whole families need to travel. And uh, one of the main problems is language barrier. Mm. That uh, patients are very afraid to go in the country because they, in other country, because they don't have a they don't know the language and yes the sponsor will be uh, will give them some translator or you know person who will uh, translate for them during the visit to the doctors or hospital but you need to take you need to know that they need to function out of that hospital also they need to have some kind of support out of the hospital too so that uh, is certainly a uh, a huge challenge also uh, in terms of cross-border access yeah. to clinical trials, um, very difficult to resolve, um, mm-hmm. certainly a major challenge, whatever can be um, improved there within the clinical trial setting, but then uh, of course also beyond that when, when the product hits the market, uh, is certainly something that uh, it needs to be addressed at the, also the political level, um, that's for sure. Let me move to another um, very related topic and that's um, uh, access in terms of legibility. So, um, of course, especially in the fatal diseases, where um, especially with children, where families um, are really hoping for a cure, and then there is this option of a one and done gene therapy that could potentially cure the disease of their child, uh, or <laughs> at least um, you know alleviate uh, the burden of, uh, uh, of of the disease very much um, is. It, there, there is, um, first of all, this challenge of explaining to people that not every patient may be eligible uh, to that gene therapy. Yeah. And uh, that even if uh, patients are eligible, there's, also, uh, there's only a very small number of patients that will be accepted for the clinical trial until the product is um, registered. What can you say about that? how to potentially educate about that, how to maybe also prepare for that, give more access, earlier access where possible, you know, 
just thinking about early access programs or uh, you know uh, open uh, label uh, prolongations of a tr- clinical trial, uh, switching people uh, over to uh, from placebo to uh, the verum. What what can you say uh, about that? How, how could um, patient groups, but uh, of course especially sponsors, prepare for that kind of discussion? Well, we are uh, again on that uh, step: education, early education of every stakeholder in that uh, line. You know, so uh, if you put in front of the parents who are hoped, I remember that days. I hoped uh, that I will save my Zoya with uh, some gene therapy trial. You know, I will do anything. I will go. Uh, on other part of the world, uh, I will collect the money, you know, any anything that, that, that I need to do just to save her. But uh, sometimes it is not possible. And I would like if uh, in that time somebody prepared me on that uh, possibility that I will not, uh, that my child will not be liable, for example, on that clinical trial. And why exactly, you know, not for every gene is that gene therapy. And I... I Uh, in that, uh, in these 15 years, while I'm in um, a patient advocacy world, gene therapy is pretty new stuff. We all know that. Well, for for patients, you know. But uh, I saw in some cases uh, polarization of the patient community because of the gene therapies. You know, some uh, one part is, uh, for example, who whose child is liable for the trial and other parents uh, didn't manage to put the child in trial. And uh, on the other case, for example, one part of the patient community is uh, willing to participate in gene therapy trial, other are not willing to participate. And, and all of them have their own reasons, you know, that they're, you know, they, it must be their choice that is for one so nobody should uh, take their decision and uh, our job is just to give them all information and what sponsor can do is to have time or to have a right person to explain all that stuff at prop at time not not at one time because you put that kind of information in front of the parents who want to save child you know and it is a shock so you need to prepare just for possibility maybe he managed maybe that child survived maybe the gene therapy is good for that child we don't know but we need to prepare them for both options that is important but uh, slowly not just in you know in 15 minutes to give them oh maybe you will survive or maybe he will not survive you know it is not the way and very often patients um Uh, are not satisfied how the doctors give them information about some trials. Only 17% of the patient get the information from their doctor about some potential clinical trial for them. That is a really small percent of the you know, doctors and patients who get the information. So where other patients get the information about the gene therapy trials, you know, if just 17%. Uh, get the information from the doctor. That can be also a uh, really problem. And when I asked doctor why or patients why he didn't give you enough information, he didn't have a time. Doctors, PIs, they, 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 they just, uh, in reality, they don't have enough type, time to answer on all questions which patient can have. 
So when we uh, try to put ourselves into uh, the shoes of sponsors, um, sponsoring pharma, um, biotech, but certainly also um, hospitals and uh, research organizations, um, what can we do to prevent that situation, that a very complex consent information, there's not enough time to really step-by-step step inform and discuss and rediscuss um, these kind of issues, uh, potential chances, but also risks um, uh, of this technology um, for the future. Um, all the issues that may be related to the clinical trial, the long-term follow-up, um, and so on and so forth, um, how can we provide for the right setup for this kind of uh, really sufficient information, both for adult people, but maybe also for adolescents? Um, that that is a, a, a different, very you know, special group that already understands very well, mm, but mm -hmm. um, it needs to be informed very detailed. Also, <laughs> so what is it? Do you have a, an idea already? D did you see a model that can work um, that that we can uh, put out here? I think the best way for sponsor to contact with patient organization at early stage. That is a really good way. Why? Because the patient organization are great resource of the information and uh, their patients trust patient organization. A question was subsequently asked by one of the attendees to the event regarding e-consent. Do you think, Boyana, that technology like e-consent could support the information of the patient and parents about the cell and gene therapy? Uh, well, depend. Yes, for sure. But oh, again, depends in which country we are. You know, in some country uh, that uh, can have the uh, purpose, good, very good purpose. But in some other other country where where they don't know English, if the patient doesn't know English, then uh, in consent uh, need to be translated on their own English. That is the also option. So anything that can help the patients uh, and to 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 you know, to overcome a uh, burden that he can have, it is uh, always good to, to try. Yeah. yeah. But the, I think when we speak uh, uh, with patient, the problem is that long-term follow-up. They don't know. I spoke with one parent that uh, 12 years after his child got the gene therapy, when he get cold or something happened, he always, parents always ask Uh, himself, uh, oh, is it uh, uh, because of gene therapy or it is just uh, it will happen anyway, you know. So <laughs> that uh, long-term follow-up is uh, uh, also very important. But e-consent, yes, for sure. Maybe to add to that also from my point of view, e-consent can certainly help uh, to increase access. Um, yeah. Not everywhere, not in every indication for every patient, of course, but for many. Uh, I totally agree to that, especially also for adolescents. Uh, so an e-consent for adolescents with maybe, um, you know, uh, young people who may also get uh, different ways of how to explain and show um, the, uh, the, the actual, uh, you know, issues, challenges, concerns, risks, um, everything related to the clinical trial. Uh, that may be also very helpful to have that electronically for these young people. Um, and with, with maybe even with interactive features where they can really um, click on things and, and, and uh, you know, watch videos and stuff like that. So that can be, um, uh, can be very, very helpful. However, I think what you, Bujana, said uh, before is still uh, absolutely true. 
whatever the quality of the of the consent may be, e-consent or paper-based, what's still required is time for personal interaction and personal uh, discussion and clarification on on these kind of maybe false expectations, too high hopes, or also concerns that may be based on misunderstandings or um, need to be fully understood what the actual risks are. So um, I, I think it's it, it cannot replace the, that personal interaction. It's maybe even, even more important to have that, that personal, personal time. That's definitely. The conversation then shifted more towards the topic of having access to already marketed products in gene therapies. And as we all know, um, in some of the industrial countries, there may be a chance to really get access to that treatment then, uh, even at a very, very high price. Um, but uh, in, in many other countries, uh, we, we still have this unresolved challenge uh, that, that uh, for many uh, people who can't afford to pay the high prices either from private pocket or from uh, any funding that they get, um, they will not be covered by their, their, their insurances. Maybe there's not even uh, a, a clear reimbursement scheme set up in the country because the country cannot afford that treatment or won't uh, afford that treatment, although it's registered, uh, for example, at the, at the European level already. Uh, not to uh, uh, speak about other countries in, uh, in the less developed world. So um, anything that you have been involved with already, Bojana, that you would think can really help with breaking up uh, some of these um, challenges that we have at the reimbursement and coverage front um, uh, for, for gene therapies now and in the future? Well, yes, for example, I have a great example from Serbia uh, where actually... Uh, uh, national organization for rare diseases, so umbrella organization, uh, pushed the changing of the some uh, act, law, rule. I don't know anything. You know something like some documents, uh, because be, without changing of that documents and that rule, uh, it was impossible to start with the gene therapy at all in Serbia. So it took one year even. And, you know, in Europe, every country has their own rules. That is the you know, problem. And so here in Serbia, uh, in 2022, we managed finally to push the government to change that law. So now they start to approve gene therapy. So uh, that also starts from the patient organization. So they can also be a partner to a sponsor and regulatory body uh, to make that possible. Uh, uh, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of challenges because of the price. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we can discuss uh, how many, how how much cost one human lives. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not the right person to discuss because I will give all the money for on the world for one life. So if that can save one life, but I'm not the sponsor. I'm not paying. You know, it is obviously we need to be realistic. Uh, but uh, the problem is that uh, in every country are different laws and different uh, challenges about that. Well, I think uh, we are looking forward to uh, maybe uh, uh, up to 30 new treatments over the next couple of years 
coming to the market. And of course, um, uh, we will learn a lot more from that. And there is a, an ever increasing need for our regulatory bodies and also the ICA um, uh, in, in Europe, um, the, the coverage in the United States uh, and in many, many other countries worldwide to really come up with new payment schemes and coverage schemes. So um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that with more and more treatments available, um, there will be new solutions. Uh, but clearly the role of patient groups and also the collaboration of more stakeholders, including patient groups and patient experts, is, is not to be under, underestimated. So uh, another pledge for uh, early collaboration with uh, all of these stakeholders together. Yeah, because so, the patient representative of the patient groups uh, are actually member of the regulatory committees in that country. So they are uh, on the right place where government decided if they're going to pay or not. So they can uh, give their impact on that issue. Yeah, and that's coming up more and more. It's not yet, uh, of course, in every country, but in, in more countries uh, to come uh, where this impact can be uh, can be given to the community, given to the regulatory uh, agencies. Um, I think we can talk about this for days, weeks and months, uh, a lot still to learn. Um, yeah. And uh, Oyana, uh, you and I and others will be um, at a master course on uh, April 25 or 26. And um, who's interested to really uh, go uh, into much more detail and have a deep dive into the subject of patient advocacy and gene and cell therapy. Um, very um, welcome to join. Uh, still uh, spaces there. Uh, at, at this, this master course. At the end of the event, our Medicum colleague Rob Pletica shared another viewpoint for discussion. So I wanted to jump in with an experience uh, here. I'm part of the Dravet Syndrome Foundation in Spain's uh, Scientific and Medical Board. And last week uh, we had the, the annual international conference in Madrid. And uh, I learned there that Dravet syndrome, while being uh, a rare disease, is actually the most studied rare form of epilepsy right now. And uh, they're, they're very fortunate to have um, one gene therapy in clinical trials, uh, three or four in preclinical, and probably another five or six behind that coming to, to preclinical in the next uh, couple of years. And so it was, it was interesting to see that, you know, maybe one day for Dravet um, syndrome, there's going to be multiple um, gene therapies on the market that you know could be tailored to different um, uh, patients' uh, specific uh, mutations. Um, but one one of the difficult things uh, that I noticed uh, there is that all of these trials uh, have um, very narrow inclusion criteria where children have to be quite young, uh, and therefore you know a lot of uh, Parents feel that you know their children, who may you know still be quite young, are, are getting too too uh, old um, and, and are not having their needs uh, addressed. So, when we have you know this kind of interest and, and a rich pipeline, how do we balance that with um, you know trying to also include all of the the people um, you know living with a certain syndrome or, or yeah disease? treatment naive patients i think that's certainly one of the constellations that uh, has risen some some um, awareness the other one is that um, of course some of the 
the patients and the, and, the, and the families are concerned that after they have uh, the gene therapy applied and it's either not working or not showing effects uh, quickly enough that they want to either stay or switch back to their, um, their previous treatment or participate in another trial. And then they would not be ex accepted in this next trial because there is no washout period possible. And from a scientific point of view, you want to have sort of clean patients. So that's uh, that's another challenge that we've heard a about a lot. Uh, certainly something that sponsors should definitely prepare for in terms of do they want that? Do they uh, how do they want to communicate it then? Um, uh, and uh, how, how to handle the whole uh, situation around this also to not uh, avoid running into recruitment issues, right? Um, depending on the situation uh, of, of treatment availability at the time. Yeah, well, I would like uh, to mention the fear of the parents, which you uh, told about. Yeah, so uh, the, I know epilepsy is a horrible uh, thing to, to manage every day, Dravet syndrome and button disease also. Epilepsy was, uh, you know, 24 hours, my, you know, my everyday, part of my everyday. So uh, sometimes Zoya had more than 2200 uh, epileptic seizures, I couldn't stop, but so uh, every changing of the therapy in epilepsy uh, disease uh, is very hard for the parents and for the patients. So uh, when you just want to exclude one epileptic medication and to add another, it can be, it is a process. It, it, it goes very slow and uh, it can cause additional seizures, worsening of the disease, progressing disease. So can you imagine what uh, parents can think if he stopped to use, for example, that medication or enzyme replacement therapy. So uh, I, I don't, th th this is very hard to ask from them, you know, to stop because they know what can cause stop that therapy. So uh, sponsor need to take uh, all that uh, stuff in consideration because nobody wants uh, uh, to get uh, worse in the disease. No, no sponsor, no parents, no child, you know, patients. So it is very difficult. About, and as you said, Philip, on some of that question, we, we don't have answer yet. I would like to thank Philip and Bojana and also Rob for their time at the LinkedIn Live event recently and sharing their insights on patient advocacy perspectives in gene and cell therapy. Finally, I would like to also thank our listeners. I hope this fourth episode was informative and inspirational. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and stay tuned for the next episode.